0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The gospel of the Lord. Praise okay, I have a question. Do you know what blessed means? No blessed means like good job. So like fist bump, good job. Fist bump, fist bump. Fist bump, good job. Fist bump. So when God says, "Blessed are the peacemakers," he's saying, "Good job peacemakers." That's what I want you to do. And and what happens in what Jesus is saying when he's teaching on this mountain is he's telling his disciples and anybody else that's listening, that what the world says is a good job isn't always what God thinks is a good job. The world might say, go out and make a lot of money and do everything you can to get ahead and try to be first in everything and don't worry about anybody else that you step on. But Jesus says, be concerned about the people who are are struggling, who are having a hard time, who are being bullied at school. Be concerned about those, and you go and make friends with them, and you go and you take care of them. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we have to stand up against people that aren't being very nice. Have you ever had a situation like that? Where someone's being really mean, and and you kind of have to say, Listen, that's not the way you're supposed to treat people. And they might keep being mean and pick on you or pick on somebody else. But Jesus says, good job, blessed are you for being the peacemaker, for showing mercy, for loving people no matter what. Bam. So think about that. Think about how you might be the person that treats people no matter what they're going through, with kindness. Okay? Have a blast. See you later. Please be seated. So if you look closely at your bulletin, I'm not Father Michael. Um, he's, he's really ill. He's got a really uh, bad fever and he's had the flu and has just not been feeling well. And so we kind of, all of us, kind of strong-armed him and said, don't come this morning. Um, he will be here for the annual meeting tonight. But um, he's been pushing and pushing and pushing and not getting any better. So he's staying home today. So you're stuck with me preaching. <laughs> so, so, well, thank you. So yesterday um, I started preparing my sermon. And, and the passage that doesn't appear in your bulletin um, today is the passage I wrote my whole sermon on, which is Micah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. So we're going to get there, but I'm going to start differently than I initially planned. Um, <clears throat> one of my spiritual heroes is St. Francis. If How many of you know something about St. Francis? You probably know about the little garden statues that animals, um, according to legend, were attracted to him, and wherever he went, he'd, he'd be, you know, kind of like that person where all the animals were landing on his arms and the bunny rabbits would cuddle with him and stuff. We don't know whether that legend is true, but he's depicted in that way. And one of the reasons he's depicted that way is because um, Francis got a very specific call from God. He was a young man who was um, born into an extremely wealthy family in Assisi Italy. And his father was a merchant of fine fabric. And so Francis was brought up with the proverbial silver spoon. okay He was given everything he was expected to go into the family business, and he planned on doing so until he was in a situation where he experienced a profound conversion. And he heard God say to him, rebuild my church. And so, Francis left all of his wealth. There's lots of stories about that, but I won't go into those. Lots of his wealth, all of his wealth rather, and lived very, very simply. He moved out into the country. He walked around Italy, and he blessed people who were worse off than he was. He's known for embracing and kissing lepers, for caring for them and, and for loving them and bringing them into the fold and showing them God's mercy. And what he came to understand, even though he did rebuild a church, a physical church, What he came to understand when God told him, when he heard in this vision that he was to rebuild the church, what he came to understand was that rebuilding the church meant to care for those who don't have anything. To care for the marginalized in his society that are rejected by the world around him including by the church. He famously went to visit the Pope at one point and preached his, in a very humble way, preached his message and it actually changed the direction of the way the church was treating people for a period of time. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes that we read today, all the blessings, has that same kind of tone. And I'm quite sure that Francis recognized his call in those blesseds. Because he was a peacemaker, he was merciful, he extended care to those who weren't being cared for. In fact, all of Scripture, the entire scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation has a very, very important theme. And that theme is that the world's values and the world's knowledge and what the world thinks is important are not God's values. God's values are higher, and God's values include caring for those who we consider less than who we know to be people that are struggling and are having difficulty. So the Micah passage has this famous, um, probably the most famous part from Micah that you've probably all heard, and I'm going to save it for a second, just to give you a little bit of idea of who Micah was. He was a prophet in the 700, 770 about. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. So um, his book of prophecy is much smaller than Isaiah's, but they prophesied and served Israel at the same time. They probably knew each other, although uh, Isaiah lived in Jerusalem, in and around Jerusalem, and Micah lived in Judah. and and, and in a smaller town. So the people who Micah was talking to about what God had given him to say were different than the people that Isaiah was talking to. Um, But the message was the same. And it's the message that if you read all the prophets, there's a bunch of them in, in the Old Testament. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Hezekiah, you know, the list goes on. If you read all the prophets, the message is essentially, you, my people, Israel, who I called to be a light to the nations, who I called to take care of the widow and the orphans, to take care of the outcast, to be my picture of who I am as a holy, righteous, loving God. You are supposed to exemplify that so that all nations will come to me. That's the basic message that the people of Israel, and by the way, through the New Testament, we are supposed to extend to the world. That's God's desire for God's people. And the entire Old Testament is a history, and you see it in the Gospels too, of the people of God walking closely with God and doing the right things and and honoring God and worshiping God in their actions and in their worship and everything. And then they get a little cocky or they get a little complacent or they start paying attention to what the world says and they step away from God, turn their back on him and go their own way and start doing a bunch of stuff they shouldn't do. And then God says, wait a minute, this isn't good. I'm going to bring you back. And, and, you know, there's consequences to the actions that you're having right now, that you're doing. And, and then God talks to the people of Israel in one form or another through one prophet or one leader like Moses or whichever way God chooses to speak to them. And then they say, oh, man, I did it again. And they turn around and they ask God to forgive them, God forgives them, and then they walk closely again. That is the narrative of the entire corpus of Scripture. Does it sound kind of familiar? Do you have moments where you're really walking closely with God, and and you really feel like you're simpatico with everything God is calling you to do, and then you either, you know, get complacent, or you get busy, or you get lazy, or whatever it is, or something comes up in your life that distracts you, and you step away from God. Ever had that moment? Okay, so what, what Micah says at the end of this passage, um, that you don't get in your, in your bulletin today, and I'm so sorry, but look out, look up, Micah 6, do you have Bibles in the pews? Look up Michael. Micah. He's towards the back. He's past Isaiah and Jeremiah and the Psalms. He's way back there in the Old Testament, kind of near Daniel. What Micah says in this passage... Oh, one more thing about Micah. The whole book is kind of like a courtroom scene. God is defending God's ways and telling the people of Israel what it's going to be like for them when they don't follow his ways but then on the other hand telling them what it will be like for them if they return, repent and follow God once again and do God's will so it reads like a courtroom scene has anybody found the page Micah 6, 1 through 8 if you found it in your Bible I'm sorry 672. 672 so if you're having trouble finding it there it is, 672. So what happens in this passage is, is Micah reminds them everything that God's done for them, from Moses leading them and getting them out of trouble constantly, getting them out of Egypt. If you were here last Sunday, you heard Father Michael talk about the Midianites and how remarkably um, the Israel army defeated the Midianites, so on and so forth. So the first part is a little history like, how, why haven't you gotten it yet? Don't you see that I am more powerful as a God than any worldly force? And then Micah says that the people may be doing rituals. They may be sacrificing animals. They may be using holy oil by the gallons. They may be doing all of these religious rituals, but that God despises empty ritual. If if our ritual, if our service, if our worship isn't backed up with action, God hates it. Not interested in us looking holy and trying to pretend like we're doing God's work. And so Micah then says, but what then, mortal, does God require of you? And here's the kicker, to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, it's translated either way in scripture, to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Say it with me, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Now, I have to say, the world's justice is not at all like God's justice. Have you ever had that moment, I hope he gets what's coming to him? (laughs) (laughs) Never, huh? I heard one time, and it cracked me up. Someone say, if I had what's coming to me, I'd be dead by now. I would hate it in my life if I had what was coming to me was the justice that God meted out. It wouldn't be pretty. So God's justice is a much higher bar than any worldly justice that we might think of. His justice is merciful. Is justice that gives us chance after chance after chance after chance. And it's a justice that's completely grounded in his love for us. That's God's justice. So when God tells us to do justice... That's doing justice, extending love to people repeatedly. And that gets us to the next one to love mercy, to love kindness. I want you to close your eyes for a second, and I want you to think about a person, maybe a family member, maybe a co worker, maybe a friend with whom you have a very difficult time. Maybe they betrayed you. Maybe they hurt you deeply. Maybe they said something cruel. And if you can't think of an individual that you know, there might be someone that's in the public eye that you feel that way about. And if there's not someone in the public eye, maybe there's an entity. Like ISIS. I'll just pull one out of the... So, think about that person or entity that you have a real dislike of, that you might even detest, and maybe even hate. Got it? You can open your eyes. And then think about what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Micah says to do justice and to love kindness, to love mercy. Gina and I were at a conference, a former conference this week, and we got to hear Nadia Boltz weber How many of you know who she is? I didn't. It's okay if you didn't. Um, She is a heavily tatted, extremely tall, at least my height, partnered lesbian woman, recovering alcoholic, who is a Lutheran pastor in a church of outcasts in Colorado. Needless to say, she's incredibly interesting to listen to. And she was talking about, well, she talked about a lot of really pertinent things, but this one thing that I can bring to you that that fits with what we're talking about this morning was was she talked about sin as feeling all tied up in knots in her gut, okay? Like the time, and I'm not going to use the same language as she used, um, like the time the jerk cuts you off in his SUV when you're on the freeway. And, and how you have choice thoughts for that person. And how they might not be thoughts of mercy and kindness. And, and she talked about her own journey of dealing with that kind of, um, that kind of disdain or dislike or hate or whatever label you want to put on it for someone else. And then she shared... In their tradition in her church, the way she distributes communion is to take the bread or the wafer. I I imagine it's bread. um, Take the bread, and as the people come to the rail, the first part I have, I don't remember the exact verbiage of of the rest of it, but she, she says, she looks the person in the eye and she says, child of God, the body of Christ, child of God. The body of Christ. So every single person that she gives communion to looks him in the eye, child of God. And as God is very willing and able to do, when she um, had choice thoughts and perhaps some choice words for the guy that cut her off, or for the person that's in your mind's eye that you kind of detest and just is so the way they conduct their lives or have conducted them towards you is so foreign to you and so distasteful. She thought about that person who cut her off and that person who has hurt her terribly as child of God. Child of God. And that, my friends, is what God calls us to do. (laughs) To look Upon the people that we most disagree with, that we're most suspicious of, that we most fear, or on a more personal level level that have been cruel or have hurt us deeply, and look upon them and say, child of God, child of God, just like me, you're a child of God. not easy. In fact, St. Paul in Romans um, chapter 8, is one of my favorite sections of scripture because I totally feel it. He says, he's pleading to God and saying, why do I do the very thing I hate? When I know how I'm supposed to behave and then I turn around and do exactly the opposite. What a wretched human being I am, Paul says. Ever felt like that? <laughs> but the really, really great news in all of this is that we don't have to do this on our own. We don't have to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God <coughs> as a Lone Ranger. In fact, it's impossible to do it on our own. Have you ever ever tried? I have. And I might go along pretty well for a while, and then it's a train wreck. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us the ability over the course of our lives, it's a lifetime journey of doing this, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And one of the keys to recognizing that we can't do it without God's help is that last phrase, to walk humbly, to recognize that inside of me, I ain't got it, but with God, I can do anything. I want us to finish with the prayer of St. Francis, You'll find it in your Book of Common Prayer, the red Book of Common Prayer, and it's on page 833. I've got you reaching for books today. (laughs) It's good to be familiar with some of the stuff that's sitting in the pew, right? Page 833, this page doesn't want to turn, and it's prayer 62. This is in a section of the prayer book that a lot of people aren't familiar with. It's in the back, obviously. And there's a whole section of prayers for all kinds of stuff. Pretty much anything that you might want a prayer for, you'll find it back here. So to conclude, let's pray the prayer of St. Francis. Together, Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much to seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.